0: This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Right, This is such a blessing for Tiffany and I to, to be here with you. I mean, I was kind of emotional just singing this morning because this is the first time in two years that we've actually sang praise music in, <laughs> in English with others. So, it just, like I said, it's, it's kind of something to hear something in, in your heart language. So, um, thank you so much for your, for your prayers and support. And we just really feel like we're among family this morning. So, bon comment allez-vous? C'est vraiment un plaisir pour nous d'être là. So, it's, it's really a pleasure for us to be here this morning. And, um, well, last week, I got an email that that just made my day. It was from a, a friend named Jason, a uh, longtime friend. We had just caught up over, uh, over Zoom. It, it had been a little while, and Jason was telling me about how he had just picked up a second job to kind of help m- make ends meet with, for his wife and two kids. He picked up a night shift job at a local factory. And, um, you know, we just kind of caught up in life, and at the end of the call, uh, we wanted to pray for one another, and he asked specifically for prayer, just that God would use him in the lives of his coworkers at at that night job. And so we did. And and then just a few days later, he sent me an email entitled "I Got to Tell Somebody." And uh, so here's his email. Hey, Aaron. I had an amazing interaction last night at work, and I just wanted to share it with you. We ran out of parts to keep making the cabs, so at 5.30 a.m., we could either go home or stay at work. I stuck around and was just spot sweeping. It was kind of a drag. Towards the end, I was more in the mood to talk to people, so I stopped to chat with this young guy who was in my orientation class. Only talked to him once before. I don't even know his name. He was telling me how some drug use kind of messed him up and left him struggling with anxiety and something called derealization. The conversation was about to end when I asked him about God. He said he'd prayed once when nothing else was working and it seemed to help, but he had no idea who he was really praying to. (laughs) Then he said he recently had a dream about, quote, angels and the Lord Jesus and all that crap, unquote. (laughs) So basically, He's in the woods with his friends, and in the grass in a clearing, it spells Jesus. Then they're chasing this giant orange ball in the sky, but they can't reach it. And a voice comes out that says, I love you. And he says, I love you too. And then the voice says, I have good news and bad news for you. And then that's all he remembered. (laughs) So then um, he said, that I could explain what the good news is next time we have more downtime. (laughs) Wow, you never know. So pray that I'm faithful to follow up with boldness and sensitivity. I'd love to have a 2.30 a.m. lunch break Bible study going someday, (laughs) Jason. What an email, huh? Well, I wonder, you know, have you ever had this kind of joy of just being used in some way in the life of someone else to, to share about Jesus or just to bring God up in conversation? There's nothing like it. But even as I say this, uh, there might be some guilty feelings creeping into the hearts of some. Like, ah, I know I should be doing that more. I just don't. Or, I don't really know if God could use me. I just, my life isn't put together enough. And I just don't know the Bible that well. Like, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? And then I'll feel awkward or embarrassed. And there can be lots of different concerns that can come to mind that, and those those fears and doubts are real, but are they truly obstacles for God to use each one of us? Well, this morning, the title of today's message is Heaven-Bound Ambassadors from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in the first eight verses, it talks about our, our journey towards our heavenly home. And in the the second half, verses 9 to 21, about our identity as ambassadors of Christ with a ministry of reconciliation. So let me just pray um, before we get into the text as for our time together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the wondrous cross that we just sang about. Thank you. That because of the cross of Christ, we are free, free, forever free. And I pray that this morning, um, you would grant us eyes to see and ears to hear from this text and what you want to say to each one of us. Help me to be faithful to your truth. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be wildly at work this morning in each one of us so we can pull out what you want to say. Amen. Amen. So I loved hearing the, the people, the flipping of pages as people were getting the Bibles out. We'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, Starting with verse 1. We're going to do the whole thing. All right. Verse 1. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, Being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it's known also to your conscience. We are not condemning ourselves to you... commending ourselves uh, to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to, bo- to answer those who-, who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded, regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a great text. Well, let's let's dive into the context a little bit, so we know and just kind of consider who Paul is addressing this letter to, and then we can pull out some practical applications for our lives. Well, this uh, community is in the city of Corinth, which is in Greece. And it's a community of fairly new believers. And they have a poly- uh, polytheistic background of Greek, Roman, and Oriental gods. And as a port city, Corinth was a gateway city from Asia in the east to the Roman Empire in the west. And Corinth had a reputation of being uh, particularly immoral. It was kind of the sin city or Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. Um, It was home of the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of sensual love and pleasure. It had been said that 1,000 temple prostitutes would be hanging around to drum up business with sailors who were coming through. And so even the Romans used the word Corinthian to signify somebody who's particularly immoral, that Corinthian. So, but, you know, sometimes the most immoral and broken people are the ones who are the most receptive to the good news of the gospel. And it's in this context that Paul plants a church. But as you can imagine, just believing in Jesus doesn't just whisk away all the bad habits from the past. Their sins were forgiven, but um, as a this community, this church community, they, they were bringing a lot of their bad habits from the past and even from the culture into the church. And so the, the letter of 1 Corinthians was written to address a lot of the things that um, Paul was hearing about. And then there was kind of a letter back and forth. Now this is the, the second letter that Paul is addressing to the community. And, um, and so it's this group of ragtag people that God is choosing to be a spokesperson for himself. Well, can he really use them? Well, according to verse 20, both the Corinthians and we are called to be ambassadors of Christ who are given a ministry of reconciliation. So let's go up to the first eight verses of the passage. And in verse 7, Paul says how Christians are to walk by faith and not by sight. While this verse can certainly be uh, applied to many situations in our lives, let's look at the context to where it's actually cited. He's especially talking about our bodies and having eternal perspective about where we will live. So let's look again at verses 1 through 6. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked... For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Well, if someone were to ask you, where do you live? You know, the first thing that normally comes to mind is maybe our city, our state, probably our house or apartment. Well, according to this passage, your first place of residence is not the address on your bills. Tent, home, house, building, dwelling, and body. These words are quoted 10 times in this passage as synonyms for your dwelling place. The big idea here is that Christians on earth are just, uh, they're, they're like nomads heading to their heavenly home. They're just—they're not home yet. And um, there's a clear contrast between our earthly and temporary residence versus our endless heavenly home. And in this earthly tent, we groan. <laughs> there are burdens with these bodies. Uh, you know, how often do we ask for prayer for ourselves or other people, and it's health-related. And even if if God is merciful merciful, and maybe he might heal what we're praying for, we know that for that person, you know, maybe it just prolongs life a little bit or (laughs) inevitably something else is going to break down. (laughs) You know, any of you who have owned like an older vehicle know how this is. If, If everything's 10 years old... You could spend 500 bucks to get the discs and brake pads replaced, but soon you need a new battery or a muffler or a new timing belt for the engine, and, you know, just things break down over time. And so our bodies are kind of like a mobile home that we're trying to keep in shape to go the distance while we're here. And no matter how, how, how hard we try to keep it in shape, um, at some point, what was once shiny and brand new, breaks down and kind of decreases in value and performance. Um, but once we arrive at our eternal body shop in heaven, we get this souped up sports car body that is <clears throat> totally new. And it's, you know, but it, it's normal to have some concerns about um, our bodies. But I think this passage encourages us to um, not be overly preoccupied with getting COVID or cancer, but to think about something way beyond that. And that perspective is really helpful for us from day to day. So this, this burdensome body is one day going to be swallowed up by something totally new. And um, you know, and just like it's good and exciting to, to look ahead to a great vacation coming up, seeing loved ones, or even to look forward to earthly retirement, it's good to cultivate those feelings about heaven. And and so one day, I mean, we're going to be home with Jesus. We're going to see him face to face with these brand new eyes that don't have to squint or look away. We can sing with voices that never get tired or hoarse. We're going to be... We're going to have strength and health and always be at rest without needing sleep. So let's do our best to keep an eternal perspective day after day after day so that we can say with Paul in verses 6 through 8, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So he's encouraging believers not just to have all our thoughts and emotions and plans revolving around our earthly retirement, but our heavenly retirement. And we can't really say that authentically if we don't kind of train ourselves to think about heaven and our future and our eternity with the Lord. As we'll see in the next few verses, as long as we're in this body, we have a message to share with the world. And when we die, that part is over. I mean, there's no evangelism in heaven. We're just going to be with family it's just going to be with others who are in Jesus. We'll get to keep worshiping him, and there'll be other things to do, but no more evangelism. But, um, but even if your walk with the Lord, even right now, feels strong and vibrant and joyful, or maybe weak and distant, isn't it encouraging to know like where our final destination is and what that's going to be? <laughs> Just a simple reminder of that absolute truth of our eternal home in heaven should encourage us and give us wings for our mission here on earth. So who are we? We are heaven-bound ambassadors for Christ. In the second part of this passage, verse 20 talks about how we are ambassadors who are given a ministry of reconciliation, which basically means we're appointed representatives or messengers to help kind of bring two sides together. How do we do this? We'll see in the remainder of the text that we do this by seeking to persuade others motivated by the fear of the Lord and with the love of Christ. So let's pick up the passage in verses 9 through 12. So, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it's also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. So the vocation of an ambassador is to represent the one who sent him. So some in Corinth thought that Paul was big and tough and severe in his letters, but not that impressive in person as a spokesperson for God. And whether the perception of others about his motive, you know, whatever their perception is of his motivation or what his spiritual authority is, we can see clearly in verses 9 through 11 what his intentions were. More than desiring to please man first, Paul wanted to please the Lord He has his priorities straight. He keeps the reality of needing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ in mind. He knows one day God is going to ask him to account for his life, and he will be given his dues for his faithfulness or lack thereof. And he knows that this transformation that he's experienced in Christ was not just for himself, but it was also to impact the lives of others. How about you this morning? Do you feel the weight or, and the call on your life to be a disciple who makes disciples? Or has the urgency and clarity of that call kind of faded with time? Kind of get in the routine of things. We have stuff to do. How, do you have any coworkers or neighbors, friends or family members that God's laid on your heart that you just really want them to know the love and joy and just the amazing grace of Jesus Christ? And I wonder what would motivate you to to take a step to kind of engage them with conversations about about Jesus. Well, may it be after the example of Paul here by the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ. The writer of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let us be faithful with the time and the message and the mission that God himself has entrusted to us. What thoughts or feelings are kind of evoked in you when you think about having to stand before God one day on the day of judgment? A reverent fear is the appropriate response. (laughs) And if there's anything less, pray that our hearts would not grow hardened or blinded or numbed to the spiritual reality that awaits each one of us. And again, in verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So yes, we do not hide that we seek to persuade others. This can be kind of touchy nowadays, especially with everything being so polarized (laughs) emotionally. The emotions are high, and we get it. You know, in France, among the students that we work with, there's less than half of a percent who are truly followers of Jesus. And the percentage is not that much higher in the general population, So, I mean, they're really, really far removed from God. A lot of them don't even know a Christian who can explain the gospel to them, much less having actually considered what Jesus is offering them so that they can actually receive it and join a community. And um, so we get it. It takes time, and it's hard, and, you know, we need the Lord. But scripture is clear, that of the many important problems of this world, the main problem is not global warming or poverty or corrupt governments or COVID. The main problem is the human heart towards God. And when people are reconciled to God, then we're able to love God, but we're also more caring to one another. Um, We have the inner peace and happiness that so many are searching for. And we're better stewards of the planet. So, so, I mean, that is the main thing. we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And reconciliation with God is the main thing. So, as good ambassadors, we need to step up our listening skills, our diplomacy skills, our communication skills to... Communicate the good news of the gospel in a way where others feel like we're on their team. In a tone that's humble, respectful, but confident, learn to share how following Jesus makes a difference in your life and how others can, can meet him as well. But I, I get it, like the notion of persuasion kind of has a negative connotation, it, it, kinda, it can feel like an overambitious salesperson or something. uh, But being the bearer and message of reconciliation is like a a physician who has both the joy and the responsibility to help see people healed. It's It's persuasion as a doctor who first wants to clearly give the diagnosis so that people see the need for and want the cure. It's persuasion like a road sign that says, stop flooded roads ahead. Go on the detour. It's persuasion like a bottle of medicine says, this is dangerous for pregnant women and and children. And it's persuasion like somebody who's starving saying, hey, there's an all-you-can-eat buffet for free right over here. So persuasion is good when when it's for the other person's ultimate good. It's good and loving to persuade people about their need for a savior, because they need saving. Judgment Day is a real event. The Bible doesn't allow us to ignore this. It's actually cruel to keep this information from others if they are unaware of it. But I know how, what it is. Like sometimes we just have those thoughts of like, "Ah, I don't want to bring up God in conversation. It'll kind of ruffle some feathers. Or what's it going to do to our relationship? Like, I really love this person. I don't want it to turn south. Um, You know, and, and I don't know what to say. And there can be just lots of different things that come to our mind as obstacles. But... Have you ever noticed that one of the greatest tacti- tactics of the devil in the spiritual battle is not like these supernatural signs and wonders. <laughs> it's actually more of a a, like a a subtle psychological attack. And we see this even in scripture. So just think about Genesis with Adam and Eve. So God says, there's a the tree, don't eat. What does the serpent say right after that? He sees these he, he sows these seeds of doubt to, to Eve. Did God really say you will not eat any of the fruit of the trees of the garden? You will surely not die. Who are they going to believe? Or right after Jesus' baptism, where a voice from heaven says audibly, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Well, what happens right after that? Jesus goes out in the desert. He fasts and is tempted by the devil. And what does Satan say? He actually challenges his identity with the words he just heard directly from the Father. If you are really the Son of God. If you're really the Son of God. Well, turn these stones into bread or throw yourself down from the mountain. He tried that same trick directly on Jesus. Well, think about our own lives. It's Isn't it? Thoughts of doubt or discouragement or fear and our own limitations that kind of keep us from just living a life that walks by faith, that witnesses joyfully to others and, can, and just to be continually filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we battle those thoughts so that we can persuade others of the relevance of the gospel? Well, we follow Paul's example. We fear God more than man and We share our lives, like Paul, with an attitude of love. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Other versions say that the love of Christ compels us. L'amour de Christ nous presse en français. (laughs) Um, The love of Christ urges us on. So, you know, if we had time to go around this room and I could just kind of call on somebody to say... Can you just tell a story of somebody that you know whose life has been transformed by Jesus? I suspect two things would happen. The first is while you're telling that story, I think you'd smile. I think you'd smile with joy because the love of Christ that you have for that person or just for God at work in this world, it would just start flowing out of you. You just, you're just touched that God, in his mercy, would use broken people like us to share this incredible message with others, and that he still is transforming lives today. It's, it's just an amazing thing to see a soul switch lanes from eternal separation from God to eternal life with God. And I suspect the second thing would happen is that we would all hear um, that God, in that story, used both the message and the messenger in that person's journey of faith. The message of the gospel wasn't just kind of read in a vacuum or, or just heard. In, in his infinite wisdom, just God has chosen to use, I mean, the power of salvation is in Christ alone. But in his infinite wisdom, God has just chosen to use a combination of his word, of the Holy Spirit, and his people to bring people to saving faith in him. And, I mean, just think about your own life. What are the faces that come to mind? Like, who did God use in your life to sow the gospel? Whether it's family or church or some other way, he used people with this message. And I, my guess is that you love both this message and some of the people that God used to bring it to you. So, for those who, he, who are here that might even still be considering the claims of Christianity, Please think about the offer that God has given to you. We're all infected with this moral cancer of the soul called sin, which certainly leads to death, and also to the merited eternal wrath of God. But God Himself has provided the only cure. And for His sake, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, to take on—excuse oh, me—your sin at the cross, so that in Him you would have life. Why refuse such an amazing gift um, of of being reconciled with God himself and to be able to live with him forever? Why not choose even today to live with him? Thanks, Han. (laughs) Excuse me. Well, verses 17 through 21 talk about the caterpillar to butterfly transformation that happens when people put their faith in Jesus. We get reconciled with God and we are commissioned to tell others to do the same. So I'd I'd like to just conclude simply by rereading these verses. And as I do, perhaps the Lord might use this not only as a reminder, but kind of a recommissioning for you to go out and be his ambassadors. If God can use Paul and the Corinthians, he can use you and I. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be no sin, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, if you're a Christ follower, you have been reconciled to God and a new body and an amazing future to look forward to in heaven. Let us live daily with this eternal perspective and try to bring as many other people with us as possible. If you have doubts about yourself as someone who God can maybe use to bring somebody else closer to Christ, well, just look at the Corinthians. You know, if he can use Paul and the Corinthians, he can use you and I. And perhaps by the end of this week, you might be writing a friend with joy with an email entitled, I just got to tell somebody. Because you just told somebody. There's nothing like that joy. Well, let me just pray for God to help us to be better ambassadors for him. Lord God, thank you for the amazing privilege of knowing you and all the promises that are true for us in Jesus Christ. For any in this room who are perhaps or maybe watching online that are perhaps not Reconciled to you at this moment, I pray that they would feel pressed to confess their sin and receive the fullness of your grace and love and forgiveness. And for those who want to be used by you in the lives of others, help us to know where to start. Even this week, grant us courage and boldness to pray and to seek to introduce others to Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Lord, we, we see a world in such desperate need of peace, of hope, of truth. And you have given us all these things and more in Jesus Christ. For those uh, in this room or online that, whose bodies are aching right now and are going through suffering, remind them of what you have in store for them. Help us live with eternal perspective day after day. Thank you for this hope and this privilege to bear your name, and as your ambassadors, with your help, we can become who we are in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.